Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, your... heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Well, everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring in the Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Welcome to another edition of Bring in the Closers. Ben, we've made it to episode 10, I believe. We have done it. Let's a uh, big round of applause there. It's a big day for us. This might be the last episode. We'll see how it, was it goes. Close. I don't know. It was close. <laughs> there was a point last Thursday at nine fifty ish. No, ten fifty. Yeah, it was. It didn't look it good. Was, it it did didn't look, look good. good. It didn't look good. Um, but between recordings, but we we persevered through, and um, you know, it was. Uh, it is what it is. My contract says I have to do at least ten, so I've I've fulfilled my portion. I hit record. I've done the things that have been asked of me. You, of course, have showed up and going to impart your infinite wisdom on us um, once again. And we have a guest we're going to bring on here in just a second. Um, <laughs> so it should be a good episode. You know, I uh, before we get to we get to the guest, I was gonna I was gonna ask you. You you are you're moving um, as you talked about on the show, um, and you haven't quite moved yet, but you're in the process packing and stuff like that. Um, and you're and you're moving to the Midland Odessa Odessa region. I don't know which mansion you bought. I hadn't looked to see what's available in Zillow, but you'll be moving to that area soon enough. Um, you are someone who likes where you're at in Colorado, um, and you, and you're making this sacrifice for business. Just just walk me through from your standpoint, um, and I can kind of walk you through at a high level my standpoint of um, why I'm where I'm in Texas. And I'm curious, was it a hard decision? Was it a decision that you felt like you had to make? Was there certain market factors? Um, maybe, you know, if it's personal, I want to get the personal reasons. But just some of the things that led to you saying, you know what, I, I just have to be closer to the action. Yeah, you know, Colorado, uh, so I was in Midland, um, what 2014 got down there in like April and was there basic, basically every, every day working most days and, and, and really grinding it out on a couple of tough projects for about what, four years straight. Uh, and at that point I just kind of, kind of, you know, wanted a break and wanted to kind of pull back a little bit. And so I uh, had uh, closed a couple of deals that allowed me, you know, a little bit of a base, uh, so that I didn't have to be, uh, you know, uh, working as hard, didn't, didn't, ha- you know, what wasn't, you know, wasn't having to work for the next paycheck, so to speak. And so that allowed me to take a little bit of a breather. And so I actually uh, spent about a month in Las Vegas last summer um, and, and just kind of, you know, decompressing. Um, and uh, just, and then uh, I moved up to uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 
And that was never a permanent move for me. That was always just kind of a, you know, I needed, needed a little bit to, to reset and, and was you know, still focused on what I was doing. And, and the reality is, you know, I'm only a flight away or you know, I'm only a eight or nine hour car ride away. Right. And so, uh, you know, but, but it's gotten to the point now where, you know, I, I kind of got, you know, got the, the time away that, that I needed. Um, believe it or not, for the people listening, I, you know, if, uh, you'll, you'll understand this for sure. I've started to miss Midland. There, there's a part of me that, uh, that's certainly looking forward to getting back. Um, but the reality is that that's where the action is. And so, you know, what I tell people when they ask me about Midland is that it's a tough place to make, a, uh, you know, sorry, it's a great place to make a living, but it's a tough place to make a life. And I think that's really true. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those places, um, but you know, it is what it is. And so come, come November, I'll be there uh, full time. I've been spending about a week or two a month there for the last year straight but have been my kind of quote-unquote home base that has been colorado but i'll be in midland uh, full-time you know i mean i hate to call you a liar but let's be honest here you didn't talk about moving to midland until you started you know meeting real important people in your life so you know it's fine you don't have to get into that today that's okay it's um but you know it's interesting one of the things i learned when i was in louisiana uh where, where i live most of my life it was during the downturn i would go meet with clients and it was really hard because even though you are a plane flight or four or five six eight hour drive away there is something to the fact of the comfort of being right there being the hey let's go get lunch compared to let me plan out a trip and it's changed the perception with people i've done business with is that i'm in texas now and you know dfw obviously i can go get lunch breakfast dinner um go ahead Oh, I was going to say, but, but it's changed perception, whereas, you know, maybe it was a four-hour drive, which I would be happy to drive to go eat lunch with someone. Just being nearby has, has really shifted the focus, and people treat you differently because you are closer. And I'm curious, our guest, who does not live in Texas, I'm curious, we'll, we'll ask him about that in a second, how he's dealt with that. But it, but it does seem that when you, when you are close to folks, that it, it does kind of just change something, even if you still talk to them on the phone. Yeah, and to be fair, um, I actually I tell people that I live in Midland, and you're the first person that you know has publicized that like I even have a home base outside of Midland because for the lack of you know for lack of better words I do have a home base in Midland because yeah, I'm there so often and so right. much and so functionally it does you know yes I'm in Colorado some part of the month but it's not as though I'm offline and out of touch I I still firmly do have boots on the ground there and so my network is there and so it's not as though I am an outsider but I've just been up you know but I'm, I'm making a transition to having the boots on the ground there 100 percent of the time instead of just most of the time. Okay. And before we get into our guest, let's a couple of programming notes. Ben will be off the show for a couple of weeks here in October, I believe, right? And you will miss a couple of weeks. And then I have an episode I will miss in November. So we will probably um, host the show solo with a guest, but we haven't worked that out just to let the listeners know. Uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and bring in our guest, who is Tim Kotsman, the president, of C- uh, president and CEO of Jubilee Royalty coming to us from a spot that you don't think of as an oil and gas hub which is new york new york and you were saying offline that you were by historical landmark in new york city um tim thanks for coming on the show it's great to have you on how are you doing sir i'm doing well thanks for having me well let's talk about it first off we were just talking um as you were on on hold there about you know dealing with folks that are far away um obviously New York City probably has a lot more oil and gas players than you, you realize, but it's also not the it's not Houston. So just walk us through that, um, um, and we'll get to who you are in a second. But just just from that standpoint, I'm just curious: has that been an obstacle being up in the Northeast? Sure. So uh, add a little bit of color. I've been up here about 
six weeks now. <laughs> so it hasn't been a year or, or uh, longer, but um, it's been interesting to hear the reaction of uh, people. You know, everyone seems to like to come to New York the same way that they like to go to Colorado. Um, so it's been interesting that people from even other countries and people that uh, people that are, you know, raising money and, and, and looking at, you know, just working through the C-suite of the industry, you know, kind of mention, oh, yeah, I'm in New York from time to time, or um, they're at least open to coming up to visit because, you know, you can kind of be a tourist and, and have a meeting. So it's been a, a positive uh, reaction so far, I'd say. Yeah, I'm sure it has. So uh, that is interesting. Again, I have some more questions on that. But first, let's kind of break down Jubilee Realty. Who are you? How do you tie into the oil and gas space? What do you do? And then we'll kind of delve back in there. But since we were already on that topic, I want to get your, your take on it. So go ahead, kind of um, tell us a bit more about yourself. Sure. So I'm from central Pennsylvania originally, Carlisle to be specific, right between Hershey and uh, just south of Hershey and Harrisburg. And uh, got into the industry in 2008 started doing, you know, leasing and right away in seismic and mineral buying projects through a broker and um, started a few uh, mineral acquisition companies over the past four or five years and uh, just transitioned out of those in the Appalachian and Permian. And my wife and I have always wanted to live in New York. So we said, hey, now's the time we're going to sign a two-year lease and go up to New York and kind of like moving home because a lot of our friends and family are about three hours south. So um, kind of similar to what Ben was saying as far as taking a little breather um, and obviously still doing some business. So uh, Jubilee is the next iteration as far as mineral buying and, uh, you know, delineating kind of where we want to go and um, working on more mineral deals. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things when you, when you go to a big city, there's obviously perception and then there's, you know, from like a tourist standpoint, which is what I would be, I never, I never even been to New York city, but um, you know, I'd have, um, I would have, you know, a tourist perception, but there's there's also reality. When the reality is, I'm sure there's probably only guest players that are inside the city that are doing business and different, um, you know, whether it's family firms or, or whatever that 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 you would have access to by being there. So there is, well, maybe there's um, you know some cons, if you will, from a perception standpoint. There's probably also some strengths, some some networking that you can get done up there um, that you probably couldn't get done in Midland, Texas, or DFW area. Sure, and I think just the reality that the world's kind of flat again with you know, email and uh, the different ways to connect and being able to jump on a flight and be wherever you need to be within a few hours to a day um, just makes a huge difference. And being in that mindset is totally different for, for me, starting off as someone that, you know, you need to be in the field, staying in the hotel, all of those sorts of things. Um, but no, it's, it's pretty funny. My wife and I just went and had drinks in the uh, one part of the lobby of the Plaza Hotel maybe a week ago. And the group of guys right behind us started talking about leases and what formation their leases went down to and drilling. And it was just hilarious. It's like you're in New York, which you think of as one of the financial capitals, but you don't think of it as oil and gas at all. In fact, <coughs> when I'm in different places, I'll go to throw something away. Like, no, 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 we recycle here. Save the oceans here. Put your bottle over here. And I'm like, I just kind of grin and bear it <laughs> because it's totally different from obviously what uh, I've been accustomed to over the past year when I was living in Fort Worth. 
Yeah, it's a it's a slight slight change there. You mentioned financials. One of the things that you when you get to the mineral space is you find a lot of people who have a lot of money that are interested in the mineral space, and that's because the financials are. I don't want. I don't. I hate to say the term unique. That's kind of overplayed. But they are. They are. They are what they are. Um, in the sense that, you know, even though most Americans either own minerals because of the, um, um, they, or, or involve in mineral ownership somehow because of they have some kind of uh, property that, that they happen to get the minerals to pass through them through that, or their family has minerals, or their buddy has minerals, where internationally, obviously, that's not the case. But minerals, from a financial standpoint, is a pretty lucrative business, and it's one that um, I don't think until you see an oil and gas boom in your area, folks quite understand how it works, why it works. So being that you're in the financial capital of the world, it does kind of resonate that you would see a lot of finance guys who are savvy understanding that this is actually a pretty lucrative opportunity for them. For sure. And, uh, you know, just kind of reminded of walking around NAEP uh, back in February and having one of the principals of a mineral fund say, you know, you know, we're, we're doing okay, but we have a lot of, you know, could be investors that are still sitting on the sidelines and they're interested in the space, but they're just not quite comfortable putting their money on the line yet. So a lot of watchers, but not a lot of, um, you know, just people just saying, hey, yeah, this sounds great. I'm just going to give you X amount, um, which, you know, can get into some of the details from the mineral conference in Houston the day after Easter, where, you know, you have, you know, these are not exact numbers, but, you know, $7 billion in private money and $7 billion in public money just allocated towards minerals and you know, certainly a, a growing and advancing space, but not one that everyone's comfortable with yet just because someone says, well, we can model it out and everything's going to be okay. So definitely, definitely an interesting time as you have, you know, sixth company uh, going public being uh, Brigham there, the uh, down on Wall Street a week or two ago. Um, it's just kind of an interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, I'm curious, uh, you, you know, you and I spoke a little bit offline um, earlier this week. And one of the things that we, we talked about was uh, that one of the things that you look at that as a uh, kind of a precursor to it, to a deal or to a new venture, or, you know, one of the things that you're looking at on, on how to bring a, a business to, uh, to market is scalability and, and, you know, entry to market. Um, can you kind of give us a picture of, uh, you know, given the current mineral market, what are some of the things that, that you would be looking at or what are some of the market conditions that you've identified uh, that, you know, that would be maybe indicative of, of one way or another? Uh, just kind of walk us through maybe a little bit of your thought process, just kind of how you, how you uh, approach something like today's market. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've been blessed to be partnered with some capital partners that, you know, have been in the oil and gas space for a number of decades and um, really were kind of, not far off from the forefront of everything, but it's, I kind of approach it from, you know, you have to be willing to kind of do the dishes, so to speak. You need to be able to, you know, organically source deals and then see what players are there, whether it's going through the records and seeing who's, who's actively buying or um, developing the relationships with, you know, some of the publics or as high up as you can get where they're willing to take a one-off deal or, if you have a little bit of funding behind you, you know, five or 10 deals at a time that you're packaging up. So um, I think it's just for me willing to do kind of some of the groundwork and see what the, what the landscape looks like on a basin by basin basis and where an opportunity might be that, you know, 
isn't on the front page of the newspaper. And, you know, the Permian is, I think, a great example of where there's still a lot of opportunity, but you're <laughs> you're definitely going to have to spend a full-time effort to uh, organically source deals and, and get them across the line. And so kind of just the thought that there's opportunity everywhere, but where where can you go that it might be uh, not easier, but um, if you're looking for, you know, not everybody in the world to be there and, but to be able to have outlets to, uh, to, to fund the deals, whether you're, you know, if you're not funding them yourself to, to have partners that you can go to. Well, one of the questions I'm curious from your perspective is if you turn on, if you turn on oil and gas news, there is news that covers all kinds of stuff in the industry. Um, whether it be price, whether it be environmental, whether it be, you know, um, just, you know, project based news, uh, there's always forecast on what the price is going to be, where the price is going, where demand's at, where demand growth is going, all this stuff. Um, you know, in the mineral space, obviously, price is going to impact um, you know, how much production there is. How do you balance that when you're sitting down you know, on a mineral deal and you're trying to advise a client or you're maybe trying to pitch a client on, on a, what you think a good prospect? How do you balance that out? Because there's so much information out there. Most of it's pretty much garbage, in my opinion, because it's, it's a lot of guesswork. But, but how do you balance that out saying, you know what, you know, um, you know, Bloomberg saying this and IEA saying that? And you put, you're asking people to put a lot of money, uh, but if you have their trust, then you have to walk them through that process. So what is your kind of steps to say, hey, here's how we, to use Ben's term, cut through the noise, and kind of get to where we think this is actually going to make money for us? Sure. So I think the mindset that I try to stick with, and one of the guys that I've worked with uh, quite a bit over the last couple of years by the name of Rob, he he has a saying that, you know, we're not looking for, for everyone. We're looking for those that believe the way we believe, just to the, the point that, you know, if someone just does not want to sell their minerals and doesn't want to talk to you, then it's probably not going to be that long of a conversation, but with someone that is asking questions or is at least open to you making them an, an offer, it's showing them that you know there are options out there available to you, especially if it's a larger deal where you know it's not just the capital gains tax treatment versus ordinary income, but it's also you know do they even know what a 1031 exchange is? Do they know what a deferred sales trust is? I mean, a lot of accountants don't even know what they may. They probably know what a 1031 is. They don't know what a deferred sales trust is, and that's not for smaller deals. But just trying to really serve them and be of service to them, and hopefully be on the same page with them that the price of oil and gas, it's going to go up. It's going to go down. It's just a matter of when. And the example that I uh, am thinking of right now is in the Eagleford, when. The price went down to a certain point. People's royalty checks just stopped, and you know that's kind of a message of, oh wow, what am I doing here? <laughs> maybe these people that want to buy some of my minerals, maybe I should sell a quarter or half to diversify because it's not just a sales pitch anymore. It's my entire revenue stream from my minerals in South Texas just got cut off because the price went too low for the operator to want to produce it. So I think it's just that middle road of it's not that you should never sell your minerals and it's not that everybody should sell their minerals but having you know a, hopefully a constructive conversation about it well, real quick follow-up. One of the things you said is that we try to find folks that believe the way we believe. And Ben and I have talked about this concept some on the show. I know a lot offline is that 
Um, you know, sales are an important part of the deal-making process because you are selling. But negotiating with strategic partners who have similar mindsets, that's really, you know, from my standpoint, and I don't want to speak for Ben, but I think Ben would agree, that's where you want to be. You want to sit in a room with people who have the same objective of you, uh, the same objective as you, they think similar to you. Um, it doesn't mean you could put together every deal, but that's fundamentally different than saying, here's a pitch deck, let me, let me uh, try to convince you to buy this. You can do it that way, but finding the right partners who have common values, common beliefs, common whatever it is, um, makes that process substantially easier. And I think a lot of people, when they're, when they're putting together deals, they're trying to sell, and they don't realize that, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can find partners who actually have um, you know, the, the shared beliefs, it makes the process a lot easier, it would seem. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So how do you go through this process of... Um, of, of a list kind of obviously no, no secret sauce unless you want to that we'll take it but how do you go that process of kind of qualifying buyers qualifying sellers to try to maybe to, to to call out the ones that you know okay this person has a lot of money but gosh probably going to be more pain than what it's worth how do you kind of work that out to where um, you are working with more partners versus trying to sell something to someone every single deal and i guess just to clarify are you kind of thinking more on approaching a mineral owner who's considering selling, or are you talking about working with capital partners? Yeah, that, it could go either way. It could go either way, um, because uh, the capital partners would probably be a little bit different. Um, so you can, if you can take it from either side you like. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, the stories that you hear, and uh, we could spend hours, if not days or weeks, on all of the war stories, but um, just being professional and knowing you know, what your strengths are, you know, do you have an agreement that, uh, I mean, I've heard stories of, um, you know, uh, brokers, if you want to use that word, uh, you know, sending a deal on a, on a napkin, so to speak, over to a fund. And it's just like, what, what are you, what are you even thinking? So I know you guys have covered that a little bit on uh, this podcast before, but just, you know, having all the information there, being professional about it. But um, at the same time, you know, are you really good at that business development end or are you really good at sourcing deals and getting, uh, you know, results out in the field with, with mineral owners or, or is it both? Um, so kind of a bigger picture as far as approaching it is just, you know, do you have the running room to really maybe not scale a project, you know, you may not want to build a project or a team of five or 10 or 50 people, but, you know, are you, are you looking at one or two townships or counties or are you looking at um, something bigger or smaller than that so that you're not calling five people and thinking that two of them are going to, you know, want to partner with you and sell half their minerals to you? So, I mean, just everything in that line of thought, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So I'm curious, Tim, um, you, you you've not only had success in the mineral side, you've, uh, you know, you run a couple of other uh, uh, firm, a couple of other companies. Uh, I'm curious from an operations standpoint, you know, one of the things that Ryan and I have talked about on the podcast quite a bit is you're providing value where, you're where you can and, and kind of, uh, you know, de- uh, for lack of a better phrase, delegating the rest or, or finding the other pieces, you know, within your network. I'm curious kind of how, how you think about that, you know, that task or, or that piece of the puzzle in terms of, okay, so I, ha- I have a business idea or, or, or you know, I, I want to get into X market and, 
and you know what that looks like in terms of what you need to, to you know, hit the green light, so to speak. Um, just just in terms of you know, what what it would take to you know to take an idea from okay, so I have an idea to okay now now I have a a business. What what are some of the steps that you take, or what are some of the things that you're looking at? I mean, again, it kind of goes back for me to knowing what your strengths are. Um, at this point in my career, I think I can do, you know, kind of A to Z. I can uh, do some business development. I can agree, uh, organically source some deals and kind of and make that happen. But um, probably a better example, you know, going back four or five years ago, um, I partnered up with a gentleman that is just best in the world at business development. And I've, through a couple different industries, have always kind of been the let's detail oriented, let's make sure every box is checked, making sure everything gets done sort of person. And so when we partnered up, it was just like peanut butter and chocolate as far as the results that we saw in doing, you know, north of $150 million worth of mineral acquisitions organically in about four years, which isn't a record, but, um, you know, when you're doing small and medium sized deals, that's, that's a lot of transactions. So, you know, being able to find the right uh, partners along the way, as you were saying, and uh, I think I've seen seen examples of both someone that is really good at uh, getting deal signed, so to speak. You know, working with the, the mineral seller or prospective mineral seller, um, and just cannot get the deal to the closing line because of the lack of something on you know identifying a, a capital partner, and then you know, other people that, that walk around all day long and, and know everybody in the world. And, but, um, you know, maybe something in their personality or something in their, their, just, they either don't find the partner or, or, or don't have the goods to bring to the market, so to speak, when they really should. So again, I think mindset along with knowing what your strengths are can go a long way and, and being realistic. I mean, over the past four years, I can count on two fingers the amount of what I call big deals that we've gotten done, you know, north of 15, 20, 30 million dollar deals. Um, and I think it's important, you know, I've seen guys that, you know, they just want to be on a day rate and they're going to have that day rate forever. And they think all they're worth is $150 a day. And that's their personality. And then you have other guys that can't pay their light bill, but they're chasing all these 100 and 200 million dollar deals. And it's just like, you would think common sense would, would allow for something in the middle. So just kind of having that realistic singles and doubles type approach of I'm going to do the work that's involved and, uh, you know, kind of walk a mile, see a mile, but definitely put in the work that's involved. I'm scrolling through LinkedIn this morning and, you know, see people on there kind of treating it like Facebook complaining about how they can't find work and this, that, and the other. And it's just kind of almost back to what, uh, ben was talking about at the top as far as like, well, are you willing to drive to Midland and live in Midland and make it happen? Because if not, I don't know why you're just venting on social media. Right. And I don't, I don't mean that to sound hard, but it's kind of like, you know, you're not entitled to a job. <laughs> so right. I, I don't, right. I'm not quite sure what, what uh, besides venting their frustration, what they're, what they're thinking they're going to accomplish through that. Right. And then to, to that end, I mean, just people submitting resumes, you know, you have people that might follow up once or twice, but I cannot remember, and there may have been one, but I can't remember anyone that's followed up with me five times. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete! 
Bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. And I'm not saying to be you know, too aggressive or pesky or anything like that. But like, if someone would follow up with me five times, I would try to do something for them. It might be referring them to someone. It might be at least giving them a response of like, hey, here's what I think you could do. But it's just, there's the people that, that, that want to talk about what they don't have, but they don't really want to go after it, at least not in my view. No, I think there's a lot of a lot of wisdom on the oil and gas contractors connect. I just interviewed a guy who's a recruiter today, and, and one of the things I kind of left the show was saying was, um, you know, it seems to me that if you're in our position, which is we all have gainful employment and are, are doing okay for ourselves, that you almost should have kind of a, a recruiter buddy that you can send when people say, hey, I need a job, hey, I need a job, if you're not hiring. You can send them to the recruiter, and you kind of kill two birds with one stone. A, you helped your friend out because now they hopefully have a job. But B, you can also vet that recruiter, and if they're, you know, if you send three or four people that person's way, and they all hook them up with jobs, then when you need to actually hire someone, you can kind of, you've already reverse engineered the recruiting process. But all that is, is you're trying to bring value to people, you're trying to help people, but you're, you're trying to solve this problem that you're talking about, Tim, and you're, you're kind of, you're trying to think, you know, maybe two, three steps ahead, going, you know what, eventually one day, I might need to bring a recruiter in to help me. Here's, here's a way to kind of solve that problem. Now, I don't know if I'll ever hire a recruiter for my business or not, but if I did, I've got a guy that I send people to, and so I can ask all those people how he treated them, you know, what did he get get the job done so kind of thinking outside the box you know how's a way to solve this problem and to your point people kind of get get um kind of get trapped into their mindset but i do want to shift gears one of the things that ben and i've talked offline i think on the podcast maybe is that sometimes you're in a market and you know you 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 think you have a pulse on the market um, because you're doing deals um and you're, you're talking to other people who are doing deals um but but then sometimes you walk into a room and then someone says hey did you know that this is going for this it's like, oh, wow. Um, okay, I, I wasn't expecting that number or that percentage or that multiplier to kind of be thrown out there. Um, how do you go about working your network to make sure that you are on top of the market, that you've got a good sense of what the market can bear, so that when you have a, you know, someone who's wanting to sell, you actually know what the, what the real price is, or if you have someone wanting to buy, you can kind of advise them, you have $5 million, this is what $5 million will get you. How do you kind of make sure that you're not caught up in a, in a spot to where you go, oh, whoop, I, I kind of misread the market here, and... Um, and you're able to advise people properly on how best to sell or buy their, the, the assets they're looking for? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, the butt in the airplane seat solves <laughs> a lot of that as far as being willing to, um, again, what you were talking about a little bit earlier, meeting people for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and um, seeing kind of what's going on out there in the market. Um, very, very few states that I've worked in, you know, ma- mandate and require on the mineral deed for you to for you actually put on the deed how much you paid to the to the seller, although that does exist, um, especially in the Appalachian. And so, yeah, I think identifying uh, people that that you can see are active in uh, the basin that you're in, and then really cultivating that relationship to the point where, you know, if if you've identified that they're, you know, paying the most because um, they just are, or because they're a public company, or whatever the case might be, um, really cultivating that relationship to where um, you can go out there 
and uh, confidently say, hey, we pay the most in the market, and you get to the point where you're in the project and you have uh, prospective sellers telling you, hey, you guys are just blowing these other firms out of the water. Um, so I don't think it's uh, there's any secret sauce, although you yeah, have just kind of identifying and then you know cultivating those relationships with the capital firms that um, want to go out there and be maybe aggressive compared to other ones. You know, I think it's something that maybe, uh, you know, people like the three of us uh, and other people, maybe even some listening to the podcast may take for granted in the sense that, you know, I, I think it is it's really valuable to be able to have, you know, a truly accurate pulse in the market. Um, but, but I think the value comes, or at least in my day to day, where I find a lot of value comes in being able to have those honest conversations with mineral owners about, okay, so, you know, listen, Yes, I understand. I mean, like, let's say that I was talking to a mineral owner today, right? And so oil just spiked like 12% over the last 48 hours. I think we're trading in like 62, 63 range, which is the most uh, that we've, uh, which is the highest we've been in a long time. And so you know, if I'm talking to them, I'm going to be trying to uh, you know, frame their expectations you know, around, okay, well, yes, that's going on, but here's what's going on behind the scenes. And so I think that's you know, something that you know, we, you know, but I wanted to hear what you have to say in terms of what are some of the things that you're looking in terms of, uh, you know, I try to educate my uh, customers on the front end. What are some of the things that you may try to do in, you know, kind of trying to get a deal done that kind of differentiates the way that you do something uh, you know, compared to someone else? I think there's so many different unique propositions, unique value propositions that you could bring to someone that it reminds me of what one of the all-star um, representatives from one of my past firms um, would say quite a bit. And that was that she had favor with that mineral owner, you know, that they had <clears throat> built that relationship to the point where, we closed deals and paid less money than what the competitor was offering because we had favor with them. We had that relationship with them. Now I'm not talking about like they took a million dollars less, but it, it's still amazing to me that someone would, you know, it's based on that relationship. And, you know, for someone that's thinking, Oh, this sounds great. You know, I'm going to go buy minerals and it's going to happen overnight. I mean, um, it's probably safe to say that almost every, deal over a million dollars was somewhere in the seven to 13 month plus range from the first phone call until you're closing the transaction. So there's no, you know, I'm going to go out this week and I'm going to do $50 million worth of business before the end of the year. That could happen, but I think, you know, realistic expectations and really building those relationships um, organically is uh the ticket and that's you probably know, not what most people want to hear no you know and i think honestly i think it even goes one layer farther than that i think uh you know the other thing that what it says to me is you know tim if people like you understand you know, that it takes that level you know that length of time to cultivate the relationship that to me on the back end means that you're also you know not going to be the type of you know you use the word broker earlier you know in one of your answers i'll use the same term but, you know a lot of these brokers out there you know, they, they think that all their job is is to forward off an email you know just carbon copy exactly what they were sent and you know if that means that they're going to you know cc you know, 12 straight emails and then they're just going to hit forward 12 times and start it instead of trying to take some time to kind of pack something up kind of to your point on, on the front end as well. And so I think it also kind of is indicative of 
of the mentality on the other side. If, if you, so you can kind of use that to your advantage to kind of seek out one of the things Ryan and I have talked about is you know, red flags and, and things of that nature. And so I'm curious kind of in your, in your years of experience, um, you know, in your experience also, you know, from basin to basin, have you found, or what have you found, I guess, um, has been different from um, you know, the deals that you're putting together, um, you know, on, on a basin to basin different uh, basis? Has, has anything keyed into you, anything different on that front? I guess at a high level, the Appalachian is, uh, especially West Virginia, you're, you're looking at a lot of interests that are um, just on the smaller side. And so it can be more of a grind as far as um, maybe less, quote unquote, big deals, you know, 25, 50, 100 acre deals. Um, but also that creates more opportunity on the, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 acre side of things. Um, the Eagleford, a lot of uh, larger ranches that you still have <laughs> some larger mineral owners that, you know, whether it's them or, or someone in the future after, after they pass, you know, they may consider selling a portion um, so, you know, maybe opportunity for some bigger deals there, but again, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Um, one of the guys I had lunch with, uh, in Fort Worth a couple months ago, he said, guess how long it's been from the first time we called this guy until the day that we purchased his minerals. I said, how long? And now they weren't talking to him you know, every day or every month, but just whenever they'd circle back around to him, it was seven years from the first time they talked to him till the day that he, you know, till the transaction closed. Um, I love the commitment. I love it. That's, that's, you know, that's not typical, but (laughs) closing something in a week isn't typical either. And so I think just that uh, life cycle of it and the Permian, you know, everyone seems to be there. Um, You have a lot of brokers running around, but you also have, you know, I think a sizable amount of end funds that are, are interested in the, and, you know, paying up to a certain extent. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely interesting from basin to basin. Um, let's, let's take this from the basin to basin perspective from the landowner, and then we'll take it to the, to the corporate side of things. Um, one of the things I had to learn early on was how I presented myself. Um, a, probably wasn't what the corporate world wanted, so I had to kind of modify that. Um, but also, if I'm dealing with different people, I have to present myself slightly different to make sure that I'm communicating with them. Um, the more technical the audience is, the more technical terms I'll try to use, the least technical. How do you walk that balance of, because I don't want to come across fake, I want to be who I am, but I also want to connect with the person I'm talking to. Um, if you're working in the Permian or the Haynesville or the Eagleford or the Appalachian, those are all different landowners. How do you walk that balance of not being the cheesy sales guy but actually being someone who's informative you're not trying to talk over their heads you're just trying to communicate with them directly sure i think it goes back to you know i want to be of service to this person i want to serve this person and so what what questions can i ask so that i know who this person is you know certainly in the eagleford and the permian there's times that i put on my boots my one pair of boots that i have that my business partner gave me for, for my gave uh, to me for my birthday as a gift um you know same thing maybe in west virginia and then you know above west virginia uh, just kind of wearing dress shoes <laughs> so you know uh, definitely dressing to um be relatable but also just being yourself i mean i not once lied to someone and said that i was from texas or or anything of that sort and uh, i think as long as you're honest and transparent with people and and more so just respectful 
of them and their time and the asset that, that they have. I mean, there's a lot of memories tied up in a lot of the minerals and, you know, we'd, we'd like to partner with them and potentially buy a portion or all of their minerals, but we can't put a price on the family legacy and the, the family memories that go along with all of that. And so, you know, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of really getting to know them and being respectful of that through the process. No, I think that's a that's a good way to end it up um, here. Unless you've got anything else, Ben, we'll go ahead and begin to land this bird. Um, Tim, it's been a pleasure kind of meeting you offline, and I know we had some emails back and forth last week and whatnot. Um, you know, let's 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 wrap it up with this. Um, let's help listeners who you know maybe they're in engineering or sales or whatever. They said, you know, I really want to get into the deal business. I want to make deals. I'll put deals together. Um, give me two, three things that you would say are critical for someone to know if they're going to kind of get into this mineral space. What, are, what is it? Um, you know, is it lingo? Is it how to connect with people? Is it numbers? Wh- whatever it is, give us a couple of things for folks before we get you out of here today. And Tim, if you want to also uh, throw in some uh, anything uh, 1031 specific as well, I know that's kind of an area for you. And so we, oh, yeah. we'd love to hear about uh, that, that as well if you want to. Actually, let, let's, let's, yeah, I'm sorry, Ben, you're right. Let's do the 1031, kind of walk through the 1031 stuff real quick, and then we'll go to that. How about that? Sure. So the like-kind exchange, if you're selling minerals and um, there's a qualified list of things that you can uh, roll that money into through an intermediary within a certain time frame and pay zero tax, because you're rolling it over into another investment. So I guess that might be number one uh, of, of three would be, you know, take the time to go sit down with a 1031 like-kind exchange professional. They're all over the place and, you know, they're in business to to do deals. And so, I'm, you know, you can take them out to lunch and I'm, they can give you all kinds of information on what size deals um, are uh, are you know, kind of worth the while as far as inappropriate for that and what's not. And, you know, just educate yourself as much as possible on um, those different strategies that can differentiate yourself from someone just picking up the phone saying, hi, my name's Tim. You want to sell your minerals? No? Okay, bye. I mean, it's just not <laughs> not a great way to uh, live your life if, if, if that's going to be it. Um, Number two, I would say, you know, it's you, you can sit there and, and, and be an analyst and know, know all the numbers inside and out, um, but without, you know, kind of bringing the mineral, the current mineral owner together with the capital source, whether that's, you know, a fund that you've raised in-house or, or whether you're partnering with someone, um, you, can, you can sit there all day and do valuations, but if the end capital fund and their model doesn't agree with what you agreed to with the mineral owner, it, it really doesn't matter. And so um, really developing those relationships so that you know exactly what um, your firm can offer to the mineral owner, I think is just hugely important. And, um, you know, beyond being professional and, and being genuine, um, just really having an attitude to serve and going out there and, uh, you know, putting your best foot forward, um, let people know, hey, I don't have the answer for you right now, but I'll, I'll find out and get right back to you and really going arm in arm with people, whether it's a, a business partner or an employee or a contractor or, you know, whatever you need to do. And, uh, you know, think of ways to innovate to really kind of take the whole project and the whole process to the next level, because that's what, especially with the digital world, everyone is really looking for, okay, if the world's flat, how can I really use that 
um, to my advantage so I can serve my customer better. You know, I think what you said there just a second ago is, is important, and sometimes it gets missed. If someone says they have, you know, $10 million, it doesn't matter how sweet the deal is if it's $13 million. They've got $10 million, and, and especially if there's someone who's, who's informed you that they're not wanting to bring in partners, they're wanting to do $10 million, um, and the buyer says that, you know, 13 is cheap. Sometimes you see people who are trying to make deals happen that it's just not the right buyer for the seller, and um, it, it seems it seems pretty simple, but... You'd be surprised at people who pitch deals to folks who don't have the money to buy the deal, and they're not wanting to partner with other people as well. They, they've said, I want to do this deal myself. This is how much money I've got, and I'm not looking for partners. And then people are trying to pitch them on deals that, that are outside of their outside of their capacity to close the deal. And it's it's kind of a strange, a strange thing when you see that happen. For sure. And I, I think, you know, sometimes when a land professional hears the word attorney or accountant or advisor, they kind of are like, oh gosh, I don't want to have to, you know, on a leasing project or right away project, or I I don't want to have to deal with this attorney, but really uh, befriending might not be the right word. But um, when you have someone that can explain to their client, the real benefits and and have some influence with them for their own benefit, um, that can just be huge. And I think it's something to be embraced and not to be avoided or kind of, uh, you know, irritated by because I think we can all talk for a while about um, mineral owners that they're not educated and so they don't have the right information and it's just they either are undervaluing or overvaluing their minerals and at the end of the day it's they're worth whatever someone's willing to pay for right then and, you know it might be a deal it might not be a deal um, but I, I think that that could go a long way in engaging you know professionals that maybe they already want to kind of run to 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 help guide through the process and can be a great asset to both both sides of the transaction. Yeah, no, that's great. Ben and I were working on a deal just the other day. It was a surface deal, and we had gotten a report that someone had offered, um, you know, we'll just say a thousand dollars an acre. Keep the math easy. But the current market rate is nine hundred, and these are properties with huge amount of acreage. And you know, it didn't really matter that we a we couldn't confirm that the person got paid a thousand. Uh, the neighbor got paid a thousand or not, but even if we could, it wouldn't really matter because the current market valuation was a hundred dollars per acre below that, and it wasn't like a two acre deal. You're talking about you know hundreds and hundreds of acres, so the math gets pretty substantial. Um, but yeah, educating folks on that is, is right without trying to feel like you're undercutting them or you know um, um, work them down on a price, and that's kind of that balance. But Tim, this has been um, great. Glad we got you on. Uh, it's been nice to connect with you offline and chatting with you. Uh, any final things before that you out here today? Uh, I really appreciate the the time and the opportunity. And I mean, just think outside the box about ways that you can uh, really convey information that, um, you know, it, it's not all about you. It might be the three mineral owners that just had such a great experience with you and they're willing to talk to this prospective seller and say, Hey, you know, uh, Ben did a really great job with me and I really recommend him and, and kind of put people at ease for whatever reason that they just, you know, don't trust anyone or, you know, whatever the case might be. Yeah, I'm glad you said it's not all about Ben. That's good to hear, too. Thank you. Ben needs to hear that as well. So I'm glad we got that in there before we got you off the show. Tim, thank you again. Where can folks connect with you if they want to reach out, talk to you, learn more about you? Yeah, pretty much everything out there. Um, best way is probably LinkedIn under uh, Timothy Kotzman or uh, jubileeroyalty.com. Okay, we'll make sure Nate links to that in the show notes. Tim, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Appreciate the time, Tim. Thank, thank you. you. All right.
It was good getting on Tim. Uh, had a good discussion with him the other day offline, and uh, good to get him on the podcast. Ben, what, any takeaways, anything? Um, I mean, obviously you're a grandmaster level 15 Jedi on this stuff, so, you know, I'm the young – I'm not a Padawan learner yet. You told me the other day I'm like a youngling, so not even quite Padawan learner status. Um, so for you, is there anything that you learned? I learned a lot. I don't know about you. I don't even know anymore whether you're, you're giving me a compliment or it's an underhanded diss or an overt diss or I, I'm you've done a good job. I, I'll say that. <laughs> I, I think the goal here was to confuse me. And if that was the goal, mission accomplished. You, you've, you've done well, sir. Um, that being said, uh, no, I, I thought it was fantastic. One, one of the things I really admire about Tim and I really love is the, the way that he goes about what, you know, what he does and you know, the, the relationship is first and foremost, and, and you know he has confidence that the rest will kind of fall into place, which if you've been listening to the other episodes may sound somewhat familiar with uh, with some of the things that, that you and I have talked about, Ryan. I, and so no, I, th- I thought that was uh, fantastic. Uh, if you have a chance to reach out to Tim, definitely do so. Um, you know, he told me offline, we didn't get a chance to talk about it on the podcast or on, yeah, on the podcast today, but he told me offline that he's, uh, he's more than happy to uh, you know, be a sounding board talk about an idea and, and you know and so if you have something that you want to reach out to him about feel free to you know, send him a linkedin message and, and follow up with, with him on that um and yeah no i thought it was really great yeah and i would like to see i mean obviously happy happy to have him on sooner but in two years i think they had a two-year lease in new york i would love to see in two years what his perception is of New York and how that's changed because he's someone who's going to be networking. He's going to be working his network and he's probably going to come across people who um, have different financial models than he's used to, have a different interest in things, and they see things different. And when you're dealing with the money side of things, that's the thing. It's not a, Money is not monolithic. Everyone has money. They have, if you go back to the shell boom, you know, Aubrey McClendon was just blowing through it to buy up everything he could. Everyone didn't subscribe to that model, and that's how money works. And so I'm curious to see, as he goes through these next two years, how the money side thing plays out for him, what connections he makes. And is it is it different, or is it kind of similar? Um, obviously, the money's got to make sense. Um, you know, there's kind of some, you know, generic things you can expect from money, folks. But there will be different interests. There will be things that, that wet people's whistle, so to speak, uh, that will be different, I would imagine, from a New York capital investment firm than someone out in Midland, Texas. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, Ryan. Before we wrap up today, I'm curious. Uh, you know, we don't we don't generally cover news on the podcast, but uh, this week I thought it was somewhat notable. Uh, a couple of you know, newsworthy things happened, but uh, specifically, uh, T. Boone's Pickens passed away this week. I was curious if you had any commentary on that specifically. Uh, not, not you know not, nothing else other than that. Yeah, it was obviously a, a sad day. I mean, I, you know, and I, I saw. I, I need to go back and look. I feel like I saw a headline within the last year. That T. Boone said he was either retiring or semi-retiring. And that kind of caught me off guard because he had said for so long he wasn't retiring. That was his big thing because he's afraid that he would kind of retire and die like some people do. And so I want to say I had saw a headline or maybe he closed down a business and he was getting too old to to run it. So whenever that was, I can't remember the exact phrasing of what happened. I kind of had wondered if the end might be getting closer than, than you know, I, I don't know T. Boone personally, so I don't know, but I'd kind of, kind of wondered that. So I, I, I don't want to say I was like at the insider track or anything, but I, that had been playing in my mind because I knew he was big on, you know, basically working as long as you can. And for the most part, he seemed to do that. So he's a legend in the industry. Um, you know, obviously it's, sad. I figured he would have been in the Rolodex, just a, just a phone call away. My lawyer advised me not to comment on that at this time. Lawyer's a smart man. <laughs> 
smart man. Smart man. <laughs> smart man. Ben Samuels. We've made it to 10. The question now is, what's the next milestone here? Is it 11? Is it, is it 15? Is it 20? Is it 30? What's the next milestone? We made it to 10. People doubted us. We doubted us. We, you know, it's, we were like Sonny Bono and Cher. You know what, Ryan? I'm calling it now. We, we got to 10. We got double digits. You know what? We're, we're, we're getting to triple digits at least. So, we, we you know, buckle in. We're in, we're, we're in for it. Let's go. That might be more depressing than T-Boone passing away, um, that news. So. Wow. Wow. Shots fired at the guys, show. Do you guys see this? Do you hear this? Yeah. <laughs> wow. do, do, do you see what I subject myself to? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Ben, anything else before we get here today, sir? Uh, no. Listeners, thank you so much. Ben might be, and as you watch the video, it's a kind of a mess. I'm in my new studio office back there somewhere will be where i'll be next week hopefully if nate comes through which i think he will this time ben are you going to be here live in person next week we talked loosely i know i don't know what your schedule is so i'm not tweeting spot i know you kind of tease that idea but is that a reality or uh, uh, are are to disappoint him once again? isn't it two weeks from now no it's next week uh you mean like oh you don't so oh, yeah um, yeah math is hard seven days Keep, no, for some reason, I keep thinking it's Friday today. Don't don't ask me why. Let's not talk about it. It's, it's a mo- <laughs> for those listening, by the way, it's a Monday. Hey, I will, I will say this. Yeah, I will say this in your defense. Recording podcasts on Monday is really hard because you want to say I talked to everyone. This, Like you told Tim, I talked to you earlier this week, and I kind of chuckled because that's what you want to say because you it's really last week, but when you record podcasts on Monday, everything feels like it's a Friday. So it's part of the podcasting on Monday deal. So, so you've done this to me. I see. Okay. Um, You're welcome. Well, uh, I don't think you guys said thank you. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. You're st- I, you're trying to ramble on about <laughs> maybe you will, maybe you won't be in the studio next week. Oh, um, that's I'll, right. Um, I, I will be in the studio when we record. Uh, well, no, I won't because I don't get I don't get to Dallas until like that Tuesday anyway. So, so no, I won't unless we record on Tuesday. I don't get to Dallas until the 24th. I'll be next Tuesday on the Jackie Davis Show on the Blaze Network, so I will not be here, but that's okay. Um, Listeners, thank you so much. We will be back possibly for episode 11. Um, We'll see. Uh, Until then, keep climbing. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete! Bad news. Uh, What happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. (laughs) Uh, Okay. That's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Here's to getting back together to planned lunches and unplanned cookouts, to grandma's recipes and smells that take us back, to passing down plates and traditions. Here's to warm embraces and familiar faces, to your best friends becoming best friends, to scheming, dreaming, and food still steaming. Here's to laughter and love, to growing closer than ever for all of life's get-togethers. Chinette, here's to us.